We're on Hollywood Boulevard. We are. Uh, so we took a detour. We didn't get on the boulevard last weekend, last week. Uh, last minute change of plans, uh, as we said on the other podcast. A little bit of life got in the way at the last minute. So we're here now. Um, and we'll try to catch you up on some culture. Yeah. Culture so, here. Culture away. What have you been up to? Um, I caught up on some movies, actually. You did. And did. were these in the theater movies or? Well, these were in the theater movies that we did not see. And uh, now that they're available on DVD and on demand, uh, watch them. We actually watched them on DVDs that I checked out of our library. Oh, you're so good. when you. I like it when you use the library. I am. A, I am definitely a frequent patron. Um, so what did you see? Well, I actually caught up on what I consider to be one of the kind of big movies so far in this year's like conversation about film. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Tell me all about this. I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. I was underwhelmed. Significantly underwhelmed and disappointed. And I'm sure there are a lot of fans out there who think I'm a fool to say that. But um, I'll describe the film a little bit. You may think it sounds awesome. And, um, you know, viva la différence. Yeah, this one really disappointed me. So do you know anything about it? So Just just so I don't bore you going into its description. Like, just the title. Oh, okay. That's all I know. Like, I know nothing about it except that the title has been sort of kicking around and that's kind of all I know. So uh, it's set in California, in Simi Valley, modern time story of a really beleaguered married couple. Um, And our protagonist sort of, I'll get to that is uh, Evelyn Wong. And she's played by Michelle Yeoh. Um, And she and her husband, Waymond uh, Kihoi Kwan, who is having this comeback, having starred in um, like a couple early 80s movies like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, they were born and raised in China, came to the States as adults. They own a laundromat, which is having its own problems. Uh, it's losing money and she has problems connecting to her daughter, uh, who's a recent college graduate who is also, uh, just coming out as a lesbian to her. Um, and, uh, Evelyn's father is also visiting at the moment. So she and the husband are kind of putting on a brave, face like their marriage is doing better than it really is when really it's not there's already been divorce papers in the works um but they're being audited by the irs so they go to their appointment their auditor is played by jamie lee curtis under a lot of latex and fat suit costuming um and she's she's threatening to like take away the one thing that they still have. She's threatening to seize their business and personal assets. Um, they they have very little time to reorganize and refile. But in um, like a closet of the IRS, the husband pulls Evelyn aside to say that there's a way out and. 
it's actually not the husband. He has transformed into a different version of himself. And he explains that there is this multiverse. And if you enter it, you can have all of these different adventures and live all of these different lives um, and sort of understand what your life is. So it ends up, this is like a two and a half or two hour, 20 minute movie um, that is non-linear and all lateral. It just moves from sort of like mini adventure to mini adventure, a lot of which that take place right in the IRS office as uh, the Evelyn character has these adventures. And sometimes the husband has all of these fights um, you know, that include even attacking uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis character. um, And like, there's, there's lots of, uh, like stylized, violent fight scenes going on over and over again. Um, And in one of these planes in the multiverse, um, Evelyn sees like what her life could have been if, um, if she didn't leave China and didn't get married, um, she would have become a major Chinese movie star. And the directors who call themselves Daniels, because two men each have the name Daniel. Uh, They use real world footage of Michelle Yeoh as an actress in films at premieres. We see her in Crouching Tiger. We see her uh, in Crazy Rich Asians. We see her, I think, dressed as herself in award shows showing it's not really a meta thing. It's just using existing footage for this fictional story to show what Evelyn's life could have been. But what it ultimately leads to is a bunch of scenes where she has to fight a multiverse version of her daughter who becomes the like her true nemesis. But it's just scene after scene of fighting. It's scene after scene of, of watching these other guises of Michelle Yeoh's Evelyn character. And it's all to get Evelyn to the point where she feels happy, content, and complete in the actual life in which we first meet her. So where she is finally happy with her husband and close with her father and accepting of her daughter and daughter's girlfriend. It's, it's a film that, that asks for a lot of empathy for, and patience for the way all of these people live. And yet I find it has none. It has no character development. It has no empathy for its main character. It doesn't look into all the things that are making her so despondent. It just tells her you're wrong and you need to be nicer to these other disenfranchised or unhappy characters. And when you do, you will be happy, which seems to me the antithesis of what this film should be saying, but here we are. and. Yes, there are a lot of rapidly filmed action sequences, but it, it to me is a because nothing builds. Right. Uh, it's actually a slow movie to sit through. I can see why I just keep calling them the Twitter fans. Uh, appreciate this movie, you know, because it, it appeals to a certain kind of fan who is like, I want to see people learn to be nice to each other and be tolerant of each other. But the tolerance here feels really forced. So I don't know. I think there's not a lot of plot. I think there's not a lot of character. I think we have some very talented actors doing, you know, like workaday heavy lifting. Um, I was deeply disappointed because I thought for 
all of the buzz I had heard about this movie, it was going to be something vastly different and smarter than it was. This is not a smart movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like I said, I had heard, like, you know, I had heard the, the not at all what I thought it would be, um, <laughs> you know, because I had heard the, the, the title kind of bandied about and, you know, sort of like rumbles if it's really good. And, and honestly, like, I would have never imagined fight scenes in multiverse. No, Especially no, but also multiverse. But also, like, we talk about the multiverse like no one has ever talked about living in multiple planes of existence before, like Spider-Man and this movie. Like, this wasn't a whole thing that has been a part of writing, a part of genre storytelling for centuries. Um, This isn't really, like, they've not invented anything, the Daniels. Yeah, I mean, I think think that's, I kind of feel like that's a point, right? Like, there's... um, there's i think i think for people who don't really follow or read or watch more genre things actually this kind of feels like what we were talking about um earlier in the green room we did oh oh i see because i think we've hit on it before but yeah yeah but i like like there there's this sort of like the the discovery thing right like look at this the meta like, like there is this yeah. kind of like what a clever what a give clever us the concept. credit yeah <laughs> what a clever concept you know meanwhile it's been you know in tv and film and but it's been in like genre work you know and i think that there just is this sort of lack of understanding of uh what genre is what the tropes are what they've already done what you know um there was like this really interesting um conversation going on in an urban fantasy Facebook group that I'm part of that I I don't participate I just kind of like lurk in the background and see what people are posting and it was like this like weird sort of Ursula Le Guin um I'm saying her name wrong uh Le Guin Le Guin thank you Ursula Le Guin was kind of talking shit about uh about JK Rowling (laughs) But not because, you know, she, she's a, a, a turf, but because, yeah, yeah. you know, basically like sort of, you know, saying that Harry Potter was terrible, right? Like, like Harry Potter was, was, you know, written by a hack, right? And then there was cue the arguments in the comments about, well, you know, what's good is subjective and what, you know, Potter, what J.K. Rowling actually did was take two different genre trope, mm-hmm. two different genres and tropes in two different genres and put them together. And that created something that kids could really feel a part of, like that really, that really spoke to them. While Ursula Lagoon, like it's like comparing apples and oranges. You know what I yeah. mean? And you can't say Ursula's better than JK, like because the, the, they're doing two very different things. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is like, it's not about being better or best. It's, these are, they can both work. They can both be great. They can both, and should, you should want them both to be great and enjoyed by whatever their audience is. But I think there was just this lack of understanding of like what made that Harry Potter, like the Harry Potter world so special to so many people because 
there was this lack of understanding of what it was that Rowling did that was so interesting, you yeah. know? Um, and, and I also think that it has a little bit to do with like commercial appeal and when things get, yeah. you know, com- when things are commercially successful, they suddenly lose their appeal as, you know, as, as work, as, as pieces of, you know, art or, or something to be like looked at, right. read, appreciated. No, I think that's all exactly right. So, anyway. I mean, for better or worse, sadly enough. Yeah. Um, and it is sad because I was really expecting to love this movie. And I can't lie. I, you didn't. I don't think it is. I don't think it is smart. Well, I well then good on you that you didn't see it in the theaters. Yeah. I said, I said, I'm glad we didn't even buy it on demand because I had yeah. wanted to, I wanted to know what this was for so yeah. long. So you know you were re- your patience was rewarded and that you didn't have to pay for it. That's right. My wallet thanks me. Yes. My mother and sister and fiance may not. Oh so I all no! Sat down and forced to watch it. Um, because so I was like, I you know it. because I was uh, like, this is a movie everyone's going to be talking about. It's going to be nominated for a lot of awards. I want to make sure you guys see it. So. This is a movie you know. And, <laughs> you were real popular like, well, afterwards, weren't you? <laughs> Why, well, you know, mission accomplished because all of those things will still happen. Just <laughs> now when they know what that was, they'll be like, oh, it was that stupid movie that Doug made us watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, but I saw another movie uh, that had also recently been released on DVD, uh, but was released theatrically. Um called men and this um i love the cast it has a big cast and it also has a small cast and by that i mean it's the the two leads are jesse buckley who's truly one of like the great leading actresses of her generation she's early 30s um she was in judy the 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 Judy Garland biopic that Renee Zellweger was in. And she was nominated for an Oscar this year herself for the movie, the lost daughter and was a big deal as Sally Bowles and cabaret on the West end. She's actually done a lot of stuff, little of which is commercial. She was in the Chernobyl miniseries a couple years ago. She's fantastic. She is great. She gives me hope. Um, and another great um, British actor named Rory Kinnear uh, who plays multiple roles in this movie in fact you could say he plays all the titular roles because rory kinnear basically plays all the different men that show up in the movie men uh and what this movie is about is a woman whose husband has recently died the very first image of the film is him um falling from the roof or falling from the top of their apartment building to his death. Uh, We find out more about their marriage, more about how he died as the film progresses, but as a means of moving on, she has rented out this enormous, beautiful country cottage um, in, in this very sort of like sparsely populated town. Um, And a lot of eerie and some supernatural things start happening, which proved to actually really threaten the character that Jesse Buckley is playing. And and all of the men are kind of off. So we have, you know, like the agent who's the one who, who greets her when she first moves into this country estate. And there's a police officer. There's also a really disturbing um 
seemingly homeless man who walks around naked through the town and, and starts terrorizing her. Again, all played by Rory Kinnear. Rory Kinnear also plays a vicar. He also plays a really young child who also taunts the Jesse Buckley character. Um, as the film continues, it sort of toggles back and forth between her real-world grief at the loss of her husband or what transpired during their marriage and a lot of um, more um, surreal, supernatural things that are happening in this town with these men that seem to all have some connection beyond the fact that they're all portrayed by Rory Kinnear and, um, and who really start converging to terrorize her. Uh, so it becomes a question of, you know, will she survive and, and what sort of realizations will she make? And thematically, I'm not really sure it gets at anything. And when it does, I'm not sure it's able to do so without exposition. Not as much exposition as there is throughout everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, but I had fun watching it, and I think Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear are giving two of the better performances I've seen all year so far. So oh, there's that. I don't think funny. it's streamable anywhere at the moment, but um, but it's probably available on demand in places. And like I said, I was able to get it from my library on DVD. So that's like one, one and a half thumbs up if we're using that metric. But I was glad I saw it. Okay. I have actually not even heard of it, so. I don't know if many have. Um, you know who directed it? I don't think this will make it uh, more apparent, but Alex Garland wrote and directed it. He did Ex Machina, and mm-hmm. he did the TV show Devs, and he also did the movie Annihilation. And most of his stuff deals in like a sci-fi, real-world ethics dilemma. Uh, I actually thought Ex Machina looked cool but was kind of overrated um just because i thought it was a completely formulaic film that i guessed what was happening every step of the way but i didn't feel that way about men so so to me that is progress okay so there are two movies and then there's some tv stuff i want to catch up on uh some streaming things mostly from the summer that i can talk about in full next week Okay. Um, I guess really briefly, because, you know, I don't really know that I want to spend all that long on it. Um, I want to update you on Virgin River. Now, have you seen all of the newest season? I have not. Okay. Um, I'm probably about halfway through the new season. And, you know, for a show that came out of the gate really, really strong... And even had a pretty solid second season. It has now fizzled completely out. Is this its out third or its, its third. fourth? It, it's, it's its third. It's okay. It's its third. And it is getting a fourth. I knew it was renewed. I didn't know if it was going into its fourth or its fifth. Yeah, so it's I'm in its third. Wondering. And is each season based on a novel? Um. Or did so, it start that way, and is it now new oh, material? I'm sorry, we're actually it is four seasons. Okay, it is. It is four seasons. Um, so I think that so there are lots and lots of novels in this series. I actually don't know how many novels, but there are a number of novels in the series, and I haven't read all of them. I've read um, a chunk. Not my favorite series to read either. I will say that, but I'm I'm trying to slog through it. Um, so. 
the very first book is the story between Jack Sheridan, uh, you know, Jack and um, uh, Mel, right? Um, Alexander Breckenridge and Martin Henderson. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of the love, like they're kind of like the lead love interests, right? But they kind of did their book story, which, you know, they only get one book. This is how romance series are written. You each, you know, couple, character couple gets their one book and their stories go on, but they're kind of in the background. So they don't have any like really big changes. Which, that is that the equivalent of their happily ever after? They that exist, is their happily ever after. Yeah. They're happily ever after uh, they're paired off and like, you'll still see them. They'll still be involved in the other stories, but they'll they they don't necessarily like change like nothing nothing bad happens to them you know maybe they'll have a baby or maybe they'll get a dog or maybe but you're not going to see their relationship fall apart because then you've now killed the happily ever after yeah. and that's you don't do that so their story was wrapped up like i think that the the series kind of covered their story in the first two seasons and now we're in season i guess four um and they're and they and they have to keep they have to keep splitting them apart and so now everything everything in this series is starting to feel like melrose place Mm. um maybe not in a good way and not in a good way Uh. where it's you know where they're just kind of to keep the drama going between our two main characters, they're just doing things to them that are, you know, painful and hurtful and, you know, and going to split them up and then they're going to get them back together and then they're going to split them up and then they're going to get them back together. So instead of maybe focusing on some new storylines and characters in the storyline, which there are plenty of other storylines that really could be the focus they're still kind of forcing us to focus on these two characters who really should have had their happily ever after ages ago and, um, and you know, stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. Or at least if you wanted to introduce conflict, let's not do it over and over and over again. Kind of like what Melrose did to Alice, yeah. um, to, to Amanda and, you know, and Kyle and their relationship and just kept like beating them down. We're not given right. a minute to just really breathe. And let them be okay. Um, so, and then there's also just like they they brought on some actors who I don't think are terribly strong. Oh. So, um, so what you're getting is you know the so so you're starting to see where the script is weak um, right. because those actors you know the stronger actors were able to overcome. They were able to build it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're kind of able able to overcome the the you know the, some of the clunky writing or or storylines or whatever because the actors were really solid and you enjoyed watching them and 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 the way that they're filming it just feels a little bit cheaper. Hmm. Like it really is starting to feel like Hallmark as opposed to Netflix. Yeah. You know where where the set is a little too clean. The set like things just look a little too plastic, if that makes sense. Mm, totally. Um. So I don't know if I'm gonna finish up. Oh wow! Wow, yeah. that sucks. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like 
if I can't sleep one night and I'm really bored and I'm like, oh, I just, I'll just watch some TV. Well, how long um, is the season? Is it like 10 episodes or is it longer than the, the typical episode count seems to be? Originally, there, originally, it was actually shorter seasons, which was really kind of interesting because um, it, it was, you know, everybody was like, I want more, right? Um, let me see. How yeah. Yeah. I think it was, yeah, it was like, oh, hold on, how many seasons was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, like ten episodes. And I think now they're giving us twelve. Oh, okay. And I'm like. And you're at like, you're like six in? And I'm six in and I'm like, we don't need twelve. Like. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I'm really disappointed because I really did think that, um, you know, I enjoyed the show. It was a little bit of a guilty pleasure. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't breaking any ground. It wasn't doing anything new, but it was like a little bit like it was a comfort, right? It was a comfort watch. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like, yeah, now that now it's just, it's, it's done and it's just not that interesting. Well, that's the thing. Guilty pleasure still includes pleasure. If you're not getting any out of it, don't bother. Yeah. So yeah, so that was that was a bit of a bummer. That's a that's too bad. Oh, I know something I wanted to ask you about. Mm. So I'll do it while we're recording. Are you have you are you going to watch House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel? I we I have been watching it. I'm okay. all up to date. I'm on I've watched the second. Have you watched it? Yes, I've seen the two so far, so I'm caught up. What do you what what are your preliminary thoughts? Um, personally, I like it fine. I like it. I'm enjoying it. I like most of the actors very much. Um, I, I think most people will be disappointed that it simply cannot create the phenomenon that was Game of Thrones. Um, but its world, its canvas is not as wide. Its world is not as big. So just to begin with, I don't think it can. Also, like Game of Thrones was a once in a lifetime lightning in a bottle kind of phenomenon. Um, I don't think just taking uh, like a George R. R. Martin prequel can really recapture that. But I don't expect it to. So for me, like my expectations aren't really being dashed. But I like it. My real question is: it seems like they are racing through story in just two episodes. I assume the episode order is maybe ten, but how much are they trying to get done with it in one season and how much story will there be for future seasons? Well, there are no books for this, correct? I think there's one. Really? Yeah. I feel like this like sprung from Martin's head without a book. Um, I, I think know. it I think was, was a, I think it was a prequel he had written like in 2018 or something when he could have been writing more of the game. Of when Thrones he could have been writing more of the, yeah, I know. Don't, um, I actually didn't even realize, I guess because it wasn't the next in, game of thrones i just was like i don't care um (laughs) you know it's funny i kind of feel the same way i'm in like i'm enjoying it fine um i like the second episode better than the first um and i don't know if that's because i got a little like we're getting a little bit more into the actual story as opposed to all of like the the character introductions and the setups you know yeah um, or if I'm carrying over a little bit of, well, it's no Game of Thrones, you know, like I'm carrying a little bit of that in when I'm when I'm watching it. Um, 
I do think the actors are quite good, although Matt Smith is throwing me. Oh, I think he's good, but I he's think he's good, but I'm we're... having a hard time because how, I well, mean, how so? Well, it's one of those so things where you know you're like, but you were Doctor Who and you were Prince Philip, and you were like, I feel I almost feel like he hasn't, you know, like Patty Considine. Like I've seen him in tons of stuff, but he kind of is one of those actors that blends in really well, and you can't. You're like, I, he's been in tons of stuff, but I can't remember what I've seen him in. Whereas Matt Smith, you're like, yeah, he did those things. Yeah, I mean, Matt Smith definitely has some iconic roles at this point. Yeah, and and so, and so I think that with, with a show like Game of Thrones, it, you need to kind of come in clean. Like, you need to not have the baggage of... You need to not be dragging yeah. along the baggage of the other shows that you've done or the other work that you've done in order for the audience to really be able to suspend disbelief. Because I'm actually having a hard time watching that. And it's not his fault. It's not to say that he's a bad actor. Like, he's not a bad actor. I'm just really struggling to see Matt Smith as Prince Damon Targaryen. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I see your point about that. This is like, when you are already so associated with something... Um, you bring that with you when you, you know, like you don't come and play, you know, Superman and then go into the Marvel world or whatever. But yeah. Which I mean, is completely like my, like it's, it's me. It's not him. And but it's, it's a real thing. Him, it's a perception but, thing. Yeah, it's a casting yeah. thing. I, it hasn't bothered me, but, um, but I definitely can understand that. You know, and and particularly, I'm, I'm not a big Doctor Who watcher, but it was actually particularly him being Prince Philip in The Crown that is, like, really, really throwing me. Because every time I see him, I'm like, Prince Philip, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> well, maybe you've also seen The Crown more recently than I did. So that's probably stuck in your brain I mean, more than probably, it is for me. And also, I think that he was just so wonderful in The Crown. Like, he was just so, he was the perfect Prince Philip. And so in my head, he must be Prince Philip. So, you know, to have him Prince Damon Targaryen in this one, I'm just sort of like really struggling with it. Well, I'm just waiting for them to give him more meaty stuff. And I'm sure it's coming. Oh, I'm sure Naughty that it's stuff, coming. probably. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure that he, because, you know, I'm sure that he is going to be, have a huge storyline. And, uh, you know, in this, like, there's no way he doesn't. They're not going to kill him off in five minutes. I mean, no, might. I don't think so. They might, but I don't. I don't. Think uh, yeah, anything is possible. Alyssa keeps saying, "I don't think Patty Considine is long for this show," which you know makes sense if we're talking all about a line of succession and heirs. Um, so I'm just going to enjoy every uh, episode I get with him because I think he's great. He's I think Reese Ephons is great, yeah. and I'm sorry because they've already basically told us through the coming soon episode, you know, scenes that um, you know, they'll be aging. Rhaenyra pretty quickly but I think the young actress Millie Alcock who plays her at the moment is terrific oh no we're gonna lose Millie Alcock she becomes someone else I think sooner rather than later we're gonna they're gonna age her out yeah oh I really like her yeah I agree I think she's really good oh I'm super I would rather just watch the show with her for a long time yeah I would I'm I'm just I'm bummed out because I really liked her yeah, I could be wrong that maybe it's a lot of episodes left with her, but I'm pretty sure it's not. So here's a question, right? I'm so, you know, I'm like we're starting to get the hums again of, uh, you know, the the misogyny of the oh, Game yeah. of Thrones writers. 
um, and creators. And I'm just kind of curious. Distant like, hums, comparatively, distant but hums. yes. Yeah, comparatively distant hums. Um, I don't know. What do you, I, I don't know. I think that... Um, I think that there's a lot of sex and, you know, obviously the, the quote unquote whores and, and all of that. But I, I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of feel like they're okay. Well, where I feel like game of Thrones fell short is that they tried to have these, the, the portrayals of the two strong women in game of Thrones actually turned out to be batshit crazy. So, um, Daenerys oh, Targaryen. and Daenerys? Yeah, uh, yeah Daenerys and Cersei. Okay. Because, right. Well, we had some other significant women who most uh, who did stick around to the end and proved to be valiant, I think. But yes, yes. Cersei but, and Daenerys, yes. Um, I get, yeah, I see that I'm a, I still defend the decision in the series to have made Daenerys go down the way she did towards the end. But if we see any echo of that in another, you know, like part of the Game of Thrones universe storytelling, then that's a bridge too far. But but what my sense of the show in these two episodes is, and I'm sure we'll revisit it as the season goes on, um, I feel like the show in some ways goes out of its way to be very sort of proto-feminist. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I Because, and, you know, in particularly, in particular with... Rhaenyra? Is that how they they print Rhaenyra? Millie Alcock's character? Yeah, I think it's Rhaenyra. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you... But, but, you know, the great thing is they're actually, like, talking about it. Like, that last sort of moment between um, Eve Best, who Mm -hmm. plays her aunt. That's what I I was going to bring up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yes, it's a little clumsy, but it's therefore, but it's therefore unmissable. Like they're talking about how, like many, including our current climate, like it's not a woman's world. Like this is not uh, politically, dynastically a world where the women get to um, succeed and they're very blunt about it. Um, So yeah, I don't know what more there is to be done with that as the story continues, but it's showing its hand a bit, saying that like this is a show that wants to tell you, it if you think it's female characters don't have it great, we are aware and want you to know that's deliberate. Right, right, and I think you know there. I, I I've been seeing some rumblings out there about how um, you know because it is a make believe world, they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't show blah blah blah. And I was just kind of like, you know, though, I think, I think that this is sort of, I I think it's important to show this, like, we can't show an idealized version of like, I don't know, you know, women, women's rights or whatever, because, you know, we don't have an idealized version right now. And I actually would rather see women fighting the good fight in these series than show some sort of utopia that is you know, that, that we're so far away from that, that, you know, I, I'm, I would struggle to, I don't know. I, I don't think that I would want to watch that because I feel like, you know, you're, you're going to have this 
utopian version of of this society where women are not shit on and we're not living that so like the, I, f- I feel like there would be a bigger disconnect there and i don't necessarily well, feel it's, it as misogyny it's a lose-lose in a sense because you know look, look at the handmaid's tale which shows nothing but women losing Right. You know, right. constantly. Right. And it's has, you know, that's Margaret Atwood's 40 year old brilliance, but, you know, that has echoes of the world we very much live in and have returned to today. You know, let the art be the art. Whether it exists in a totally fictional world or not, it's going to be watched and received through the eyes of people who live in this world. And it's important to recognize that and say, there will be stories that show women enduring hardship and prevailing and stories that show women succeeding. And they're, they're both important as important as, you know, seeing just suffering. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not, none of those tracks are in any way kowtowing to an audience that's all kind of storytelling that's important for audiences to see right right (sighs) i don't know i i mean we're in agreement but i'm gonna soapbox out anyway just because i keep seeing dialogues like this everywhere I, i i always just take umbrage when i see you know a hive mind dictating what kind of storytelling is right and or wrong the storytelling that's right is the storytelling that's good that's well done that's rich not not what pleases you or your your current you know vantage point or or the politics of the day it's if the story is really good then these things will end up being universal anyway but they'll certainly make for a rich viewing or reading experience and i also think you know again like that the objectivity to things like like everything or, or subjectivity of everything like what i think is good somebody else is not going to think is good and that's fine sure but it's one thing to be like well i don't know if fantasy is my thing i'm not going to watch house of the dragon and another thing to be like oh i'm watching it but it's not giving me what i want and therefore this show is a failure right 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 exactly yeah, because yeah, it, you don't enjoy it, and that's fine. But that does not make make that does not mean that the show has failed. Right, a show yeah. doesn't have to give everyone everything they want. Chances well, are, it know, can't. I, you know, it's sort of interesting because when I think about like, you know, one of the things that sort of you know the 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 writing gurus or whoever who, whoever yeah, I listen yeah. to talking about writing at this point, you know one of the things that they're always saying is you can't, if you, if you, if you walk into a room and somebody says to you, like, you know, usually it's the marketing person saying, well, who's your audience and, and you're creative and you say, well, everyone, that means that whatever that you've created probably isn't very good because you can't write or you can't create for an audience of everyone. That's impossible. Yeah. You know, I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, that doesn't mean that it might not resonate with everyone, but you have to create it for very specifically for a very, yeah. I mean, it really kind of responds to, well, but is, what is your specific vision here? And you have to have that for it to take off. Right. And, and I think that, and I think that, you know, I think that when people, when non-creatives, like maybe not necessarily Mm -hmm. like audience, when audience like now approach a thing, like they want it to do, they want it to be for everybody. 
They want that thing to be for them. They want, you know, not only for them, but for the person next to them and the person behind them and the person in front of them. Um, and, and that, that, that's not going to work because, you know, because these things cannot be for everybody. They're not. Yeah. And what you're going to get with is going to feel hollow and, and played out. Um, you know, if you're telling a, a good story, chances are, you know, it's going to be a personal story or something that reflects your personality, something you've observed, that sort of thing. It'll make the work probably deep, but it won't make the work, you know, evergreen for everyone. Right. But the, the idea is that you have a multiplicity of all of these things and, you know, like they all add up to something that is for everyone. But it's about the choice. It's not about right. everything being for everyone. Because then, like, what can these all be? Right. But that is a pitfall that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people try and push. Right. I have a friend so. who's a screenwriter, and he said, um, you know, they want, they only want scripts now that, that can be enjoyed by, there's like a quadrant. There's some sort of formula. And it's like, it has to hit all four of these audiences. And it's not really a geographical one, but it's like, something that families can watch and older people and younger people. And I guess like middle-aged romantic adults, I don't really know what it was. Wow. Um, something that's like a, that. And this goes back a, eight or nine years. That's a, that's a hard. It's impossible. That's impossible. Cause there's so many different, like, cause everyone has all these different like, touch yeah. points of what, what, what really works for them. Yeah, that's that's kind of an impossible task. Really. But I don't even know what examples exist of this. I just feel like, okay, so we have, you know, some big franchises and Marvel-type things in film. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. What do, does that mean? Like, you know, I'm, I, like I'm drawn toward holiday movies. I'm like, are those the ones that can only really sell? You know, something like a Four Christmases, because that really gets all the different generations in there, and that goes back like 15 years. <laughs> oh my God, that would be terrible. But yeah, I think that I yeah I don't I I can't think of anything that would it would sort of like hit all of those, you know, check all those boxes yeah. and so not... so I don't have the answer, but it sounds like no one knows what they're doing as usual. Yeah, the no, advice yeah, is the advice yeah. should uh, everyone just needs to be a little bit uh, more willing to gamble on on right. personalized well, stories. Yeah, I mean, and I think like the interesting thing too is like whenever you say something is like this is this is the thing as like the definitive, you know, this is what we want. Then something comes out of left field and completely like upends it. You know, this is the only thing that will sell. And then the next thing you know, like this little tiny like two-hander movie that's completely weird right. is like going gangbusters at the box office like you know this, right this and then and then can't. for two years everyone will try and emulate that and once you're the thing you can't be duplicated there's got to be right. a new thing right. so yeah it's a right. it's a really kind of lost cause yeah yeah and i i think that you know i i think you can you can hedge you can there are certain mm -hmm. elements that you can when you're putting together the project um, you can, the, if you think about it and, and are smart with putting it together, you might be able to like hit that magic. Um, mm -hmm. but there's, there's like, there's no guarantee. Like if you put it together well, it will help, you know, like, like yeah. succession, like 
in well, the I was going to go of, there in the end. Yeah, yeah. In the end, it all comes back to Succession. But like, would that would Succession be what it is were it not for the cast in those roles? It's everything, right? It's right. It's obviously it's Jesse Armstrong. So there's a vision that is unique. The writing is great, but yeah, the, they have specifically cast non-obvious talented experienced people who all fill out those specific characters you know to a t and then the guests they bring in like it's that je ne sais quoi yeah and if you had put xyz different actors in the magic probably would not have been there right and you know i often go back to this um too like in my head um would connor mcpherson the playwright Connor McPherson mm-hmm. be considered as brilliant of a playwright if his introduction to New York had not been, or really to theater in general, had not been St. Nicholas with Brian Cox. Yeah, probably not. I don't think that his career would have, and like that was like a happy accident. Like that was luck. That was really shit luck. And not to say that he's not good, but you know, a monologue? Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? And like a lesser actor yeah, would have blown it. Yeah. yeah. And it's oh, bold. Absolutely. Yeah. A lesser actor would have blown it and he would not have had the career that he did. Yeah. I do wish I had seen that. And, you know, and honestly, like I remember reading the script and being like, that's all right. <laughs> I that's know. Right? right. But that was sort of me kind of like, I read the script and I was like, yeah, that's all right it's all right. Like I didn't, you know, it was kind of cool. Cause it was like this ghosty vampire story that we'd never gotten before in the theater. So I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But like, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't like, it didn't, when I read it, it didn't like really hit me. It wasn't until Brian was on stage and his voice and yeah. watching him that it became like this yeah. really compelling piece of work. So, you know, and so I, I, I just always like kind of think about that. Like, would Connor have had, and no, no shade on Connor, but like, would he have had the career that he had were it not for that very first outing? Yeah, and in some cases, maybe yes. You know, the talent finds a way. The persistence helps them along, and sometimes it's the fluke. Yeah, yeah. It's well, the convergence of of talented things and circumstances that, that make something bigger than the sum of its parts. Right. Exactly. But when they connect to an audience more often than not, they're usually unpredictable. I mean, no one thought the matrix would ever do anything and people refer to it. And it's a Bible for many 23 years later. So, so the answer is no one knows anything. <laughs> Especially not us. <laughs> no, and never us. But please come back. Wow. I, oh, that was a good conversation, but I just completely ran out of gas. It's all right. Well, then that means we've come to the end. It's, it's kind of like getting every URL on the internet. We have, we have explored all there is. But we'll be back next week. If you guys have any recommendations of things to watch, see, read, and talk about in general uh let us know back on the block pod on facebook otherwise we wish you guys a great end of august and we will see you next week back on hollywood boulevard bye